Well, I, I feel this morning like I've been uh, a little bit set up, which is not unusual um, when we come to preach that actually a lot of what we wanted to say has already been said during the morning. And um, so I, I just want to start with a little game, kind of liven you up a little bit. And uh, I want to do a little game of word association. So when you play word association, you've got to think of the first thing that comes to mind when I say a particular word. And um, Roger is going to put a word up on the screen, and, um, and I want you to think what that first thing is. Other people might say the same, and it doesn't matter if they do, okay? I just want to find out roughly what you think of when these words come up. So Roger, the first one, Christianity, Jesus, Christ, church, faith. Cross, the Archbishop of Canterbury, yeah, that might be your image of what Christianity is with a big, big hat on, truth, love, people, joy, so all loads of different things come to mind when you hear the word Christianity, what's the next one? Uh, I know, I've given him a hard task typing these things in. Church, family, people, singing, building, encounter, security, safety. Okay, thank you. Pardon? The presence. Phil's been preaching a lot into that recently, hasn't he? Well, I'm going to start in a completely different place to that. That was just as a kind of, okay, let's just have a think. Um, Last week, um, Phil was preaching about boldness. So if you weren't here, here's a kind of 15-second overview of what Phil preached on last week. Because I want to kind of carry on from where he left off. So he was preaching from 2 Corinthians 3. And uh, he was saying it's not about our anointing or our gift. That's not relevant. It's all about what God does in us. Jesus knew what to say, he knew what to do, and that's because he knew his Father and he had the freedom of the Holy Spirit. He went on to say, what we have to share is so much more important than Moses had to share. Uh, The glory is more evident. The law showed us that we need a Savior. So the Old Testament stuff, that showed us that we need a Savior. But then Jesus came to bring in that new kingdom. And our boldness comes from the sufficiency of God. And that was kind of his conclusion at the end. And, um, and so he was talking about having this boldness. And I want to kind of neatly segue from where we've been, which is doing a, um, a series through the book of Acts, to our kind of mini-series that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, where we're going to be talking about a rude word, evangelism. And... Um, what do you think of when I say the word evangelism? Reaching out, street work, spreading the word, telling people about Jesus. Just say it as it is. That's good. Um, just telling people about Jesus. I love the way Kathy said that. Oh, come on. Just telling people about Jesus. And actually, that's what I want to talk about this morning, is talking about Jesus. 
I thought it was fascinating that um, we have those lists of words, and actually, when we talked Christianity, fortunately, Jesus was the first thing that many of you thought of. But actually, when you said Christianity to the world, they probably think of the Archbishop of Canterbury, or they think of hard pews in churches, or they think of all kinds of other things, but they don't necessarily think Jesus. It was interesting that actually, when we talked about church, you didn't mention Jesus. No one said Jesus when we were thinking about the word church. And that's quite normal. Because when people think church, they don't think about Jesus. When we hear the word evangelism, we think about lots of things. But is Jesus the first thing that we actually think of? And, and the big question is, when you think of Christianity, church, evangelism, how could Jesus not be the first thing that we think of? When I did this myself, wasn't the first thing that came to mind. And I openly confess that. And how could that be? Because Jesus is fundamentally the center point of Christianity. He is the, the church is the bride of Christ. So when you think of church, you've got to think of Jesus because Jesus said, you know, I'm going to form the church. And he, he says the church is like his bride. And, um, and then we think of telling people about Jesus, that, that rude word, evangelism. And uh, we think of all kinds of different things. And we can be very distracted, can't we? We can be distracted by the church. We can be distracted by Christian culture. We can be distracted by each other as the body of Christ. We get completely distracted sometimes from what we're supposed to be doing and uh, we forget the fact that all of this is about Jesus now if you talk about Jesus what does everybody else think we had great testimony there Angela saying you know God's helped me I was prayed for and I got better and she gets the the silent treatment. Despite the fact she was winning, she gets the silent treatment. But actually, there was good that came out of even the silent treatment because she spoke up in the name of Jesus. And, um, and I think we have to be careful to put Jesus first. I'm going to just show a little uh, micro video now um, which just talks a little bit about Christian jargon. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I think you'll like it. Have you ever been told by a Christian friend that they wanted to love on you and it made you feel uncomfortable? Has a believer ever asked you who you were doing life with and you didn't know what to say? Has someone ever invited you to a fellowship but you didn't go because you don't even know what that is? Hi. I'm regionally semi-successful Christian music recording artist Micah Tyler, and I'm here to help solve a problem that so many in our world face today by offering to you a new program, Rosetta Stone, Christianese. Unlike Hebrew and Greek, which are only learned by your pastor so they can impress you with one line each Sunday morning, Rosetta Stone, Christianese will teach you to communicate the Lord's true language for the church today. 
With Rosetta Stone Christianese, you'll learn words and phrases like being relevant, unspoken prayer requests, quiet time, and I see that hand. You'll also learn measurements like tenfold, one hundredfold, a season, and much, much more. As you mature in your relationship with Christ and His Bride, we also offer advanced courses in Southern Draw, West Coast Slang, and King James Version. So whether you're on your computer, riding in your car to a Bible study, or even in your prayer closet, Rosetta Stone Christianese will give you the tools that you need to grow and bear fruit in your Christian walk and your Christian talk. And that's not all. With your order today, you will also receive a free church sign pocket decoder that will help you dig into the theological depths of every roadside treasure. Signs like sunscreen prevents sunburn, God answers an email, and what's missing? So log on to our website, sign up today, and begin the journey of a lifetime by conforming to the ways of these words. And if you are not fully satisfied within the first 40 days and 40 nights of purchasing this program, well, bless your heart. There are no refunds. May the Lord give you a hedge of protection and traveling mercies wherever your feet may carry you. I'm Michael Tyler. Peace be with you. that at a dinner party the other night and I laughed and laughed and thought I have to show that. Um, but uh, w- we get caught up in, uh, in Christian culture and uh, we get caught up with all those silly words that mean absolutely diddly squat to everybody that's out there. And, uh, and actually we can get so focused in on all of that that we miss Jesus in the middle of the party. And, um, and I want to encourage you, you can go and watch some more of those videos, by the way. He's done a whole series. He does one for each sermon series he's doing. Obviously, that one was on speaking not in Christianese. And uh, for each sermon series, he does a funny video to kind of launch it. And some of them are brilliant. So we need to talk about Jesus I've been reading a book recently, which is um, slightly irrelevant, um, called Speaking of Jesus, The Art of Not Evangelism. And um, it's really good, very irreverent. Um, and um, he says in this book, this guy is um, he's an evangelist and a church planter um, in uh, the Middle East. Uh, he's been in Lebanon, Beirut. And um, I'll, I'm going to share one of his stories later on. But he, um, he says this, we can do one of two things. Give people Jesus or give them wasted sewage. I think he was trying to be careful in the way he wrote that down. Uh, we can either point the way to the way or confuse them with a load of things that will never feed their need for God. There is a place for doctrine and dogma and science and history and apologetics, but these things are not Jesus. They're just humanly manufactured attempts to make people think that having the right idea is the same thing as loving and following Jesus. 
And the whole of his book is all about can we chuck away some of the trappings that we've got around us and, uh, and actually just talk about Jesus. And I don't think that he was the only one who felt that way. So if you've got a Bible or you've got it on your phone, um, just turn um, to um, uh, 1 Corinthians 2. And just want to read um, together the beginning of 1 Corinthians 2. So this is Paul. And he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to ask you, what does that look like? What does it look like to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified? That's a difficult one, isn't it? How does that look like tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock when it gets to tea break at work? What does that look like when you're cleaning the toilet? What does that look like when somebody cuts you up in your car or nearly knocks you off your bicycle with their car? What, are these, what does it look like to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified? And he goes on, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, I can't imagine the great orator that Paul was being kind of weak and fear and trembling. I know what it feels like standing here, feeling that way, um, but I can't imagine Paul did. But he says, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but the wisdom of God. So I ask again, well, how do we do that? And over the next couple of weeks, we've got different people speaking, and we're going to be talking about how do we do that? How do we put Jesus back at the center of what we're doing and in the center of what we're saying and at the center of our interactions with our friends, our family, with the random person in the street so that actually Jesus becomes more famous? I said um, that um, I would... um, take us from Acts into this. And actually, um, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 3. And um, I just want to have a quick look at three chapters of Acts. Your heart's just kind of sunk, as I've said that, three whole chapters. And, um, but I just want to quickly look at these three chapters. So chapter 3, we've got the story of the lame beggar being healed. And so there's this story about how there's this beggar who's lame, lame from birth, and he's laid at the gate of the temple. And then he sees um, Peter and John going into the temple, and he asks them for money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. I think they were kind of saying, we're not in fine splendor here. We're not very rich people. And they said, that he was expecting to read something. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, 
I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and got him up. And people were amazed. So it goes on to tell the story um, down to verse 11. Um, Peter speaking in the, in the portico. And uh, the guy is still clinging to Peter. He's hanging on to him. He's like, wow, I'm walking again. I haven't walked since I was a child. I've been lame most of my life, and now I'm walking. He can see what God's done. And uh, everybody sees it, and Peter addresses the people that are there. And he says, "Um, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, these people knew who all those people were. Glorified his servant Jesus, who you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. And um, just this story goes on and he just uses this opportunity where he sees somebody healed and says, Look at Jesus. Look how marvelous Jesus is. Not, that was pretty cool. (laughs) Did you see what we did there? No. He says, look at Jesus. He's the one who did this. He is the author of life. And they go on into Acts 4, and they get tried. They get tried for speaking about Jesus in the temple. And they end up in jail. And then God miraculously releases them from jail and everybody sees this and then we go on into chapter five and they get tried again for preaching preaching what preaching jesus and preaching in jesus's name and actually as you go through acts jesus is the focus of all of their preaching And um, we can get carried away preaching about an awful lot of stuff in life. We can get carried away with preaching about church and mission. You know, hold my hands up here. But actually, you read through Acts, they preach Jesus. And they preach Jesus again. And they preach him again. And they tell of the stories he's done. And they demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit as they pray for people. And they see people healed. And they see people added into the church daily. And that encourages me. As um, uh, we were hearing the stories from Northern Ireland, as Alan Scott was telling them um, a couple of weeks ago, we're just hearing those amazing things that are happening where so many people are being healed and so many people are turning to Jesus. And it's great to hear other stories this morning of actually people turning to Jesus who weren't even looking for him actually, didn't go for prayer for healing and are there in their own bedroom and Jesus turns up. And that happens because people have been praying in Jesus' name for that to happen and because of the compassion of Jesus, because he's got a compassion for the lost. He loves them. I'm going to tell you a story that's in this book. I'm not going to read it in whole like I did to the elders the other day um, because it's quite long. Um, So I'm going to just read some excerpts from this story. And this guy, he's with a team in Basra in Iraq in 2003. So we're talking height of the troubles. 
And here they are in one of the worst cities where the more bombings are going off than anywhere else. And they're out on the streets giving out Gospels of Luke. And uh, they come back to their hotel and um, they realize they're going to need to stay another day because they've been out so late doing this evangelism. And they go to the desk and uh, the people at the desk say, why have you come here? Are you with the American army? Now, they're not carrying guns like everybody else. And they say, no, we followed Jesus to Basra. And so we're trying to find out what he's doing here. And the guy at the desk took in his breath with a hiss and said, Isa? He said, asked using the Muslim's name for Jesus. Isa is in Basra? We think so, my friend Samir said. And he wants to help us out in any way that we can. The manager made something like a gasping sound and snatched the phone off the cradle, rattled off a quick sentence in Arabic and hung up and came around the front of the desk. If you please, he said, stay right here. I know you must be very busy, but I have to call my brother. He loves to hear about Isa. So his brother turns up and he says, you know about Isa? Yes, I said in Arabic. We followed him here. Oh, my When I was a young boy, a man came to our city and he was telling stories about Isa to the people. The rest of the group of the hotel staff moved closer, listening intently. And when this man left, he gave my father a cassette tape with recordings of the stories of Isa, the miracles, the teachings, the people he talked to, and how he lived. Wow, I said. Every night for 10 years, my father would play this tape for me and my brothers and sisters. He played it until the tape did not work anymore. I love those stories of Isa. Oh, I miss them. Well, I said, and he cut me off. I have heard from my father and the old men of the city that they say there are books, sacred books, ancient books that tell of the stories of Isa as they happened by the friends of Isa. Is this true? Yes, I said. We've been giving them out all over the city all afternoon. This guy almost fainted. You must Find me one, he says. You must give me one. I have to have one of those. So the guy goes off to his room and he kind of ransacks his room. He's emptying the suitcase and he can't find any of them. And he opens everything and he pulls all the clothes out of the closet and he finds a jacket. And in the jacket pocket, there's one last kind of dog-eared version of Luke, um, which is one that's kind of been there for ages. And he picks it up and thinks, it's the only one I've got. And he goes back down to the reception. And he gives this to the man. The man says, I will never, he says, I will never forget his face when I handed it to him. With tears on his cheeks, he held it reverently, lifted it to his forehead, closed his eyes. He lowered it to his lips and gave it a kiss. And then he slowly opened it and looked at the print. And then he runs off, gets the phone and phones up his father. Says, Father, you've got to come now. You've got to come and see this. So a few minutes later, this old man, gray beard, kind of wizened old man, kind of just about makes it into the hotel and comes over to him where he is in the lobby and he hands him the book. And his father looks at the book and he says, is this the same stories of Jesus that were on the tape? And his father flicks through the book for a few minutes and he says, yes. This is it. These are the stories of Isa. We forget the gold that we have in the Bible. We forget how exciting 
the stories of Jesus are. And they become so part of us, having the Bible become so normal that we forget the gold and the might of the stories of Jesus. Jesus and his stories captivate people. They love to hear these stories. They want to know how Jesus healed Angela's knee. People come round with no introduction to the door and say, tell me, tell me again that story of what Jesus has done for you. And that's because they can't believe it. Because he is amazing. I get myself into trouble for being too open and honest. People say, especially at work, they say you should play your cards closer to your chest. You've caused your own problems because you've been too direct, far too honest. And if you hadn't done that, life would have been easier for an awful lot of us. And I'm sure some of you recognize that in yourself. But when it comes to Jesus, am I the same? The problem is, I would say, we shy away from being totally truthful. And you're sitting there thinking, no, I don't. I'm completely honest in every way. I say the truth. So, When somebody says to you tomorrow, so what did you do at the weekend? What do you say? You might say, I went to church. You might say, I went to a festival. And you might just leave it there. On Friday night, I was in the swimming pool. Pamela and I were both there because we were doing the kind of swap over point between two different children doing their swimming club. And... um, Pamela's talking to this lady, and the lady says, and well, do you fancy coming for a run on Sunday morning? Because we were talking about different routes that you could run around Rosalie. And Pamela says, I've already got an arrangement for Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I was sitting there preparing for this morning, and uh, I kind of had a little chuckle to myself. (laughs) And then God slapped me a bit later when... uh, the lady tried to talk to me, and, uh, and I, I kind of had a little bit of conversation, and then I said, I'm going to have to be really rude, because I need to prepare a talk for Sunday morning. And she went, okay then. I went onto her phone, and I put my headphones on and did a little bit of prep for today. I'm not very good at this stuff. I'm not very good about being honest about what Jesus is doing, and I want to be more. If you went to a concert over the weekend, would you not say, I went to such and such's concert and it was brilliant. I had a really good time. Well, I tell people that I went to the theater yesterday and that actually it was really brilliant and that I had a really good time. Yes, probably. And I'll tell them all about it if they're interested. But what will I say about Jesus? What I say, actually, during the weekend, I saw that Jesus had healed someone and it was really miraculous. 
Will I say that I heard a story about somebody meeting Jesus who wasn't even looking for him, but had been in a Muslim culture and knew nothing about him? And that actually, as she started to talk about Jesus, she was quoting the Bible, which she had never read. I don't know. But it's a challenge to me because I want to be more honest about Jesus because I believe as I tell his stories, the conversations that I have will be different and there will be different outcomes we talk about church a lot you know we might say oh i went to church on sunday but actually we can almost deify the church but we don't talk about what jesus was doing and i want to say jesus is god's son Let's talk about him. Let's raise him up. Let's make him more famous in what we say. I remember Sam Poe, as he was preaching one time, he said, we are not introducing people to the four spiritual laws, but to Jesus. Now, for some of you, you will relate to that immediately because you know what the four spiritual laws are. Pamela and I, when we met, we met doing um, some mission in Bolivia And um, we didn't know what the four spiritual laws were, but we were working with Campus Crusade, and they used that as their way of telling the gospel. And um, so we turn up, and Saturnino, this guy, kind of, he was a wizened old guy, would sit on the roof of our hotel with us in the sunshine, and uh, he would explain to us in Spanish how we should share los cuatro uh, leyes espirituales, And uh, so we'd learn how to do this in Spanish. And actually, you know, we weren't very excited as a team about sharing the four spiritual laws. Um, We'd seen that there'd been a lot of people become Christians in the couple of weeks before we'd arrived through another crusade that they'd done. And actually, we wanted to disciple these young people. We wanted to do drama in the square. And when we did drama in the square, loads of new people came into the church to go, what's this all about then? Can you tell us about this? And actually, we went to those young students who'd just become Christians, and, and they were built up in their faith, and we hopefully equipped them to go on in the things of God. But actually, it doesn't matter whether it's something like the four spiritual laws that you use or whether actually you just have normal conversation with people. We need to talk about Jesus more. Bill Johnson, I remember him saying one time, he, uh, he's, he just stood up after worship and he went, Jesus, our magnificent obsession. And he just stopped and he didn't talk. And actually, is Jesus your magnificent obsession? Does he just fill every part of your life? And some of you might not even know Jesus in that way. You might think, well, actually, here's a name. I know the Bible was about him. I know the church do something about him. But actually, I don't know who he was. And if that's you, we want to tell you about that this morning. I want to say that, you know, Jesus, who was, came to earth completely free of sin, he was God. And yet, we pinned him to a cross. And we've heard this story this morning in several different ways. He was pinned to a cross and he died and he took our sin. He took your sin, he took my sin upon himself. And actually, he made me right with God. He brought me close to God in a way that I could never do 
in my own right. Nothing that I could ever earn would bring me to that place. So Jesus, my magnificent obsession. In um, his um, book, Disciples Making Disciples, Francis Chan, in fact, if anybody's got my copy of the book, could I have it back? Because I really couldn't find it as I was preparing. But fortunately, I'd written this bit down. Um, He says, um, being a disciple maker means you will begin to look at the people in your life differently. Every person in your life is created in the image of God. And Jesus commands every one of them to follow him. God has placed those people in your life so that you will do everything you can to influence them. Following Jesus means you will be teaching other people to follow Jesus too. And actually, that's our raison d'etre. That's what we should be doing. If we're following Jesus, that's our whole focus. Whether we're in the workplace, doing that to the best of our abilities, so that people say, why do you put in so much effort The boss doesn't even see it. You can say, because I'm doing it for Jesus. I want to give my absolute best for him. Whether it's over coffee. Whether it's doing other things. Let's be the best we can for Jesus. In in his book, speaking of Jesus, that I've quoted from, I think the guy almost goes too far. He says he's not a Christian. So when people say, are you a Christian? He says, no, because actually he's, he's so rebelled from the um, kind of Christian culture that he said, I just can't put myself in that place. And so people say, do you go to church? He says, no, we have gatherings where we, where we worship Jesus. Um, but I, I feel like he's almost gone too far. Um, and um, it is quite a controversial book. If you want to read it, you kind of need to put on your flak jacket first because it hurts. But actually, he says it as it is. That actually we've missed the point in so much of what we do. And I want to ask the question this morning, how will we do church in the light of Jesus? How will we do our small groups? How do we see our friends for coffee? How do we look after our neighbors? How do we interact with our work colleagues? Let's meet Jesus in all of those places. And as we meet Jesus, let's see people changed. And I want to say this morning, I want to know Jesus more. And you might think he's being a little bit extreme this morning. But I want to say, yeah, I want to spend more time with Jesus. I want to fall in love with him more than I've fallen in love with him before. Because he is worthy of my love and my adoration. And I know I'm pretty pathetic at it. I kind of half the time forget about Jesus and focus in on the stuff that I do in everyday life. The watching TV, the playing on my mobile, the doing my work stuff. And forget the place of Jesus in all of those things or instead of all of those things. Because he needs to be my my magnificent obsession. All for Jesus. So who's with me on this? Yeah. What would Jesus do? That was on those kind of wristbands that people wore for a while. What would Jesus do? J. John, at the 2004 Brighton Conference, this made me feel old 
when I realized that I'd written this down 12 years ago. He said, Jesus sacrificed 200 pigs to save one man. How much would you give to see one man saved? 200 pigs. Year's wages? How much would you give to see somebody turn and follow Jesus? At the end of the meeting, um, after um, we've um, just sung again and we're going to stop in a moment, um, I'm going to um, have a video played um, of a song called Jesus Freak. And um, some of you will know the song very well and some of you will have never heard it before. And uh, it says in this song, people say I'm strange. Does that make me a stranger? That my best friend was born in a manger. What will people think? What will people do when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? And um, it challenges me, that song, every time I hear it. It challenges me because I don't think I'm quite freakish enough with regards to Jesus. And I want to ask this morning, are you prepared to become more of a freak for Jesus? And for some of you, that makes you feel a bit squirmy. Because you think, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how my friends are going to react. I'm not sure if I say that over the weekend I saw that a woman had been healed. When somebody had prayed in Jesus' name for her. What they're going to do. And it makes us scared. And that brings us right back round to the beginning where I talked about what Phil had said last week about having boldness. I believe Jesus has given us boldness to be able to say what Jesus has done in our lives. And I want more boldness and I want to follow him more. And I ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Lord, I thank you that you are just magnificent. I want to thank you that you are just totally stupendous. And I want to worship you more. I want to have you more and more as my focus in everything that I do in my life. I want you to be my obsession in everything. And Lord, I say, I know I've not done that. And I ask you to forgive me. But what I know is that you're amazing. And you say that when I ask for forgiveness, that you'll forgive me. I don't know why, apart from that you love me and that you are full of grace where I am full of rubbish. And I want to say I want to be filled once again with your spirit that I might love you more and that I might be more dedicated to you. Amen. Whilst your eyes are closed, is there anyone here who actually feels that they haven't known Jesus before and actually thinks, yeah, I would like him to be my obsession. I would like to follow him in a way that I haven't followed him before. If you feel that way, can I get you to stand? Now, is there anyone here who actually just thinks, I've been a bit pathetic in the way that I've been following Jesus. And I'm stood up for this one. And I actually want more of what God is going to do in my life.
and I want more of Jesus. If that's you, can I get you to stand? Now, I don't want you to feel bad if you're sat at the moment. That's absolutely fine. Some of us feel like we need more of Jesus. So I want to ask the band if they could come back. And as we stood, I want us just to focus on Jesus, on how magnificent he is. And I want us just to spend a moment in worship where we just look at Jesus Look him full in the face and tell him that we love him and that we want more of him. That we want more opportunity to actually say something for him and his boldness. It's not our boldness, but his boldness to say something at the right time. Not to shy away from it like I did in the swimming pool on Friday. I actually want more boldness to say tomorrow to someone about Jesus. And I believe that as we make that commitment before him, he's not going to disappoint us. But he's actually going to give us opportunity and he'll give us the boldness to speak about him before others.